0: The following podcast on the WDKX Podcast Network is
1: provided by Vision Automotive.
0: You're listening to the Check Your Health Podcast, courtesy of the University of Rochester, where Dr. Sean Elms who joins us now. Uh, good to have you. Now, you've brought in some guests today. This is a real interesting topic. Even I'm taking notes on this. I got my pen, I got my paper, yeah. because today is a real discussion. I've got teenagers. I don't know how to talk to them. <laughs> and I feel like, I can almost feel in the room, they don't know how to talk to me. Right, right. So let's have a real conversation. What are we talking about today?
2: Yeah, I think in, a, in between those conversations, there are often pain and trauma that kids don't know how to express, mm-hmm. or we ourselves don't know how to deal with. And mm-hmm. so today we're going to talk about the intersection between the pain that our kids are feeling and the joy and how we can support um, them as, 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 as growing adults, um, but also assist parents and, and guardians in knowing signs to look for Um, Dr. Sheftal will talk about some of the data related to uh, teen suicide and suicide prevention. And uh, my good brother here, uh, Gerardo Johnson, will talk about what the community um, uh, can do um, and where they can lean in for additional support. Uh, Dr.
0: Chetal, welcome to WDKX. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And
0: uh, we, <laughs> we we're just sharing some DKX stories, which we'll get to later on, because I thought it was really great, because you 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 are part of the Rochester area. You grew up uh, knowing the Langston family. Mr. Langston, you told a great story about washing his car, yeah. and it was just it, it just brought a smile on my face, because I remember him enjoying his car. Yes. And so you told a great story. So good morning. So how are you doing today? A oh, couple of different things to get into this morning, Uh Dr. Shuttle, I was talking to you off this air about some of the stuff going on. Can you give us some sort of research that you found, especially when it involves young people in suicide?
1: Yes. So that is my area of interest and expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been studying suicide for quite some years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I started off looking at adolescent suicide specifically Mm -hmm. and then moved on and realized that we were missing the mark. A Great deal when looking at suicide and started actually looking at preteen suicide. So suicide in youth five to 12 years of age. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. And it's a hard topic. I'm not going to lie to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I have kids in this age range. uh, So it's really hard to talk about it. But at the same time, we need to talk about it because nobody knows it's happening. And unfortunately, in order for us to do something about it, we have to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I have been uh, for quite some time now, just looking at the data, trying to figure out how can we intervene early, early on mm-hmm. in these kids' lives. Because as Gerard can attest to, once we get them in teenage years, we got a lot of layers to, to mm-hmm. peel back, mm-hmm. a right. lot of
0: layers. All right. So there's a theory that I have it has been talked to me many times before. Um, at that age, where they're basically five up to twelve, the mm-hmm. preteen areas, uh, you can basically mold them. You know, what I mean, yep. T- teach them, put them in the right environments, and all types of things. There is a point when they get to teenage years, <laughs> where right. you go to from parent to consultant, yep. but you as a parent don't know that. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to make decisions without coming to you first. Where it's like, hey, mom, dad, can I go get a, you know a meal at the, the you know the, the corner? Yeah, yeah, sure, great, great, great. Then they get to around 12, 13, And then you start to see they're going to places and making play date plans. And hey, can we go over here and do this? They just, you become a driver. You know what I mean? That's where where you start to start to go. Is that true? Is that true about sort of the age where 12, 13, they start making their own decisions?
3: Yeah, I, I think they, you know, start developing themselves and want to kind of like test the waters, per se. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that having that balance of that structure and you know, also allowing them to grow and mature um, and also checking in with them to see how things are going and what's what's happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just having that balance. But during that, that age, that is an age where they're being mostly influenced, you know, by social media, um, other peers. Um, seeing things on television. So that is at that age that they really start to think they're starting to develop more, starting to feel themselves more, mm-hmm. and they're seeing. So I think you have to have a balance um, as a parent
0: you know, with that. Um, is there, is there a couple of different stats that we had before the show came in, um, one of which has to do not only with youth but young girls. Yes. Uh, can we talk a bit about that? Because I want to get into that yeah. discussion.
1: So, young girls, we are seeing a drastic increase in black girls specifically when it comes to suicide deaths. Mm. And, unfortunately that has not always been the case um Mm -hmm. males have always been the largest group in terms of suicide deaths for many many years but now we're starting to see that gap actually shrink where black girls actually 12 to 14 years of age suicide was the leading cause of death Mm. and nobody knows that information Mm. and that's hard to to think about you know at 12 years of age a child is dying, a black girl is dying, and she's dying because she feels like there's no other way out. And she's dying because she feels like there's no one to help her out of that space that she's in. And those thoughts just didn't happen at 12. Those thoughts happened prior to that age. And I think that's something, again, where we have to really think about, okay, that five to 11-year-old age range, what's going on, how can we help, how can we intervene early on, so that our black girls and boys in that age range aren't dying by uh, this cause. Do
0: you have any other sort of like a, sort of, that's a startling number mm-hmm. um, and an alarm when I got two girls. I mean, you know, there's a, it's a, anybody who's got girls understands that anyone's who got children uh, should right. be listening to this right now. Is there any other sort of stat- statistics you'd like to let people know when it comes to having this discussion? Cause I do want to get to the parenting end of it, of where do we go from here? Now that you guys have done the very tough, research mm-hmm. there are i would like to ask is there any suggestions going forward but what else do you guys as far as research goes
1: yeah so in terms of 2020 that's the most recent data that we have mm-hmm. so when you look at black youth 5 to 19 years of age 395 deaths actually occurred for black individuals 5 to 19 years of age mm-hmm. by suicide in 2020 and then when you start to look at the data over time mm-hmm. what we notice is that from 2000 to 2020 Black youth, 5 to 19 years of age, were the ones that saw the largest increase. So 78% was the actual increase when you look at time. Yeah, that, that gap. Yeah. So that 20 years, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then also, when you start to think about just the research in general, we don't know a lot about black youth because suicide has always been considered a white people problem.
0: Yeah, we don't talk about it. We don't, we don't talk, talk about it. it. We
1: don't. <laughs> But also, when you look at the field, it actually started out with white males in middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said, "Oh wait, this is an adolescent problem too, and then we got we have to explore that." And black adolescents weren't really, looked upon Mm -hmm. until probably most recently, Mm -hmm. probably in the last, I would say 10 ish years. Yeah. Um, And then when you look at suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, uh, we're also seeing increases in those as well. And with looking at national data, um, there's a CDC that puts out a national data set for high schoolers. And what we're finding is that for black individuals, so ninth grade through 12th grade, Mm -hmm. they're actually increasing in their suicide attempts And they're increasing in their suicide attempts that are leading to medical attention. Wow. So what that means is that lethality is actually higher. So the actual methods that they're using, unfortunately, are harder to intervene upon. than The
0: methods that they're using.
1: Correct. Huh. So... There's, uh, you know, multiple methods that people can die by suicide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's more methods that are more lethal than others. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, what we're seeing is that our black youth are actually increasing their method. Well, their lethality in their methods.
0: Oh, man. Uh, but Dr. Sean Nelms, this is, um, this is a rough one. I mean, the first one out, this yeah. is a real serious one within our community. And it's us talking to us. Yeah, and, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I want to just give University of Rochester some credit
2: here we go out and recruit some of the best researchers and, and, and physicians, it's mm-hmm. for this reason. And she talked about, Dr. Sheftal talked about this not being a, an area of focus until the last few years. Mm-hmm. That could have to do with there weren't that many physicians and psychologists focusing on this of color. Yeah. And so hiring people like Dr. Sheftal is critically important for the field of research, but really important for Rochester. also. Um, she's not just someone who just kind of got her degree and, and came here, she wrote the manual for the National Black Caucus, co-wrote the manual for the National Black Caucus on teen suicide prevention. So the work that she's doing is having a national impact and we have to take full advantage of folks like her and Brother Johnson and others who are really focused on this in our community um, because these issues have to be surfaced. Being someone who worked in public school for the last 26 years, Mm. I can tell you, you could see signs of it very early on. And and the scary part is, often you can't see it. And, And so you know you're living around kids all day and there's got to be kids in that space who are thinking about suicide. Um, and, and we have to make sure we have tools to identify um, such behaviors, but also resources that are immediately available for parents and kids to have access to. And so the purpose of, of us coming on this show and will continue to come on the show is to make sure that we are marrying our research and practice with
0: the resources that that are available at the hospital, but also embedded in the community. Uh, Dr. Sean Nelms, University of Rochester. I want to thank you for not only coming up and talking a bit about it, but the services that will Mm -hmm. also be provided for those that are in need if they feel they're uh, like how
3: young we're talking, what, Mm -hmm. five, six years old? Maybe? Yeah, well, at our pediatric clinic, um, University of Rochester's uh, Pediatric Bureau of the Ones Clinic, we serve zero to birth, zero, zero to 18. Okay. Um, If they've been in our care after 18, we could keep them up to 21. Mm-hmm. So we start as early as... Um, you know zero. You know we've seen one-year-old, two-year-olds. Um, so we provide that therapy, uh, those counseling, uh, family therapy, group therapy, individual therapy. We provide at our at our location.
0: Now, what are the signs if I'm if I'm running into something and I see something with my one, two, three, five, seven-year-old, mm-hmm. or isn't isn't acting the way they used to, or something's going on, or mm-hmm. maybe there's some 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 family drama that's going on, and you're not quite sure what to say to them when you know. Uh, you know, you you you're uh, not had a nice, happy household, and then things went turmoil, and nobody's really talking to anybody. Yeah. What the what are the signs that there's something wrong?
3: Yeah, Dr. Shetro, you could in with this too. But I think you know the sadness, the irritability. You've noticed some anxiety. Um, you know, they're kind of like standoffish in their rooms, not coming out. You know, and this lasting more than two weeks. You're noticing these different signs. That's why it's careful. Um, so important as a parent. To be observant of our kids, um, I use you know you want to you want to make sure that you kind of like be inquisitive, mm-hmm. you know making sure you, you're of your children and know what's happening, what's going on. But if you see changes in mood swings, you know like I said, anxiety, um, you know you may see some irritability, sadness, you know coping. Um, struggles with coping with daily life skills, you know, that gives you some things that something is happening, something has changed, especially if you know your kid, you know, they're not playing soccer no more, not playing basketball no more. You start to see something is going on. Those are some signs that you can start to notice there's something going on. Hygiene, too? Hygiene, you know. Hygiene, too. Yes, we've seen hygiene as well. Then there's severity, right? So the severity could be like, you know, um, is these concerns interfering with their daily life, mm-hmm. right? Um, then you can also look at the duration, how long of this has been going on. You know, not just little Johnny was mad at you for a day or two and he stayed up in his room, but have these things been happening for more than two weeks? Um, you know, you're observing these behaviors. And then you also want to look at, you know, are they being resistant to change? You know, um, are the concerns worsening, mm-hmm. you know, as you as they matriculate? So you want to just have that time to look through. Um, the signs and symptoms and be more observant of what you're noticing your child is going through.
1: But one thing that we notice with the younger kids, actually, is that they're giving away possessions that Mm. they really value. So say, for instance, you have a child five to 12 years of age who just loves this stuffed animal, can't sleep without it, has it everywhere they go. And then all of a sudden they're giving it to their sibling or they're giving it to a best friend that is a sign as well. Really? And, and yes. And I think that's something that people wouldn't even notice as being a sign is that you're giving away things that you love. Because unfortunately, that child has placed it in their minds that they're not going to be around anymore. Oh, so my They're goodness. giving away those possessions that they really care for to people that they care for.
0: Wow. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that bit of information. Is there some... Te- uh, what about... 20 minutes into the show, but I wanted to ask a question from a parent's perspective. Obviously, this is a different generation of young people. They've grown up with social media. They've grown up with screens. They didn't grow up the way we grew up, which is fine. That's I mean, not a judgmental thing. It's just a fact. Maybe I'm starting to dialogue the wrong way. Let me come as a clean slate as a parent now. And any other parent coming in, how should I be approaching or talking to I guess, different age groups, because talking to a five-year-old is a little bit different than talking to maybe a 10 or a 12-year-old. So is there there sort of a way of zero to five, you should be talking this way, or you know, ten, five to 10 or 12 You should be approaching them this way? Is there a specific way to talk to, to young people so we can communicate a little better?
1: Yeah, so I can speak to the younger age range, if mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and I, I try to do this myself. Um, I try to be a very, I, I'm very open. Mm-hmm. And even though conversations are very uncomfortable at times, um, I try my best to hold it together. So for instance, um, my I have an 11 year old boy and I love him. And he is my everything, and I have a seven year old daughter. And sometimes they will ask me questions <laughs> that are, are uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like growing up mm-hmm. and things that are going to be changing. And I'm just like, okay, we're having this conversation. I wasn't ready, but we're we're gonna do this. Um, and you just do it. You do it, right? Mm-hmm. At that age range, I feel if they're coming to you, then they know that you're a trusted source. Uh-huh. that you can actually have those conversations and not see them any differently. Um, And also just being mindful that um, the way I think Dr. Nelms had had indicated offline is that the way that we react to stress and the way that we actually react to being overwhelmed, they are looking at that. So even though it's hard to sometimes hold it together when we're overwhelmed and stressed out, that also could potentially be an opportunity to teach your child, right? So I'm I'm under a lot of stress right now. Mm-hmm. I got this going on. I got that going on. I got this going on. You know what? Let me bring that to, to my seven-year-old and be like, you know, hey, you know, Riley is her name. Um, you know, mommy's really stressed out. And, and these are the things that I'm trying to do to kind of help me. So I'm going to the gym. I'm listening to my music. I'm, I'm doing all these things. You want to have a dance party right now? Let's do that. Mm-hmm. That'll help me out. So giving them opportunities to see those coping mechanisms is also another way that you can actually teach them early on, so that they can use those things later on.
0: So they're watching us. You mentioned that, Dr. them mm-hmm. They're watching yeah. us all the time. If we act out, they act out.
1: We think about
2: all the things we were told as a youth, right? If I start to sit, you probably finish it. keen like, kids are better to be seen and not heard. <laughs> heard, right? We all heard that growing up. Well, how ignorant is that? I mean, yeah. we heard it growing up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, and I think it's just. Things like that that we were, that our parents were doing their best. This is no shade shade to our grandparents and great-grandparents, but the idea that we sit in our our pain and our trauma without having a way to express it is is, is foolish. Mm -hmm. And we know that the only way to move through things is to actually identify what that thing is and have a process for moving through it. And so we want to have our kids to be advocates for themselves. We want them to be able to express themselves respectfully. Um, and so we can't say do that in the outside world, but don't do it in our home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so w- to whatever extent you can, like, create those safe spaces to have those open conversations. I do it my same thing with my kids. I'm like, Dad is stressed out this week. I have five nights out for dinners with people that I really don't want to be at this week. Yeah. But here's the benefit of doing that, yeah. and we're going to catch up on Saturday at the East Game. You know, like, so we have, I give them the issue that I'm trying to deal with, but I also say to them on the other side of this, this is where we're going to connect when it's just you and I and there's no distractions. And so I'll be modeling for kids how to be okay and stress. Stress is not a bad thing. Not responding to stress is a bad thing. And so that's part of life, but having a plan to process through it, but also looking for for brighter and better things on the back end of that. Those conversations with our kids are extremely, extremely beneficial and important. Uh, Mr.
0: Johnson, is there anything for teenagers? Because sometimes teenagers shut down. All right, they lay it on. One of the one of the things is to not answer the direct question that you ask them. But I understand it's a process. They they have their own world, and what matters to them, you might see as small. So I'm paying bills, paying the mortgage, doing this, doing that. You might they might have a bad day through a breakup or something bullying going on. How do I talk to them and approach them? And then we'll get to the resources, again, available for the community through the University of Rochester. But how do I talk to young people that um, are not very good at having these sort of face-to-face conversations?
3: I also uh, agree with Dr. Sean Nums that modeling the behavior first, right? Modeling the behaviors that we want our children to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though they may not... Um, you know, shut down at times, I think also lifting their voice. So I think when you're, when you're engaging with your children um, and when you're asking them about the day, you know, well, what was good about your day? Mm-hmm. What, what took place? You know, sometimes we just, we just leave that, you know, we just leave it, but no, tell me what was good about your day. What, what happened in school today? You know, what was two or three good things that happened today? Or what was some challenge that you might experience today? So I think engaging and then also getting on the level that if your kid is into video games or into YouTube, maybe find out what they like and then say, okay, I was watching that YouTube video you sent me, that TikTok video <laughs> yeah. um, and begin that conversation, right? Because sometimes may might think you corny. Oh, dad, what you trying to do? Because I've had that happen to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, I think everybody yeah, has, But it's trying yeah. to engage, right? And see that let them see that we're trying to engage them mm-hmm. and we're trying to bring that connection. And then sometimes that they bring that flow um of them opening up that you're trying to get on their level. I love to give my, my, my kids um a voice mm-hmm. and allow them to have a voice um to share what's happening, what's going on with them, and not from a non judgmental perspective. And then I, I welcome that they really wanted to know. What was my past like? What was I doing? Oh, really? You know, how was how did I brought up? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I was brought up in the hood. I grew up in the projects, you know, but talking to them about those experiences, let them know that I'm not up here, but I could also come down to talk to them and be real with them and, and talk about my life learnings and to kind of, you know, let them know that, you know, I'm real. Like, this is what happens. This is what goes on. Yeah. But I think engaging, engagement with your children, spending quality time. We are our child's first teachers, mm-hmm. you know, so we have to model and behave in the way that we want our kids to be because they're watching. Us. They're looking to see how we're how we're doing. So I think that's one of the things you know, engagement, modeling, um, spending time. You know, Doctor Nums talked about that. Spending time with our children. Yeah. You know, we may have stressors, a lot of things happening throughout, but having that time to say Fridays, Saturdays, this is the time that we're going to do something together. It's family night. You know, it's something mm-hmm. that we're going to do, and I think that helps build that bond and create that atmosphere. That even though they want to stay up in their rooms and play games and be on YouTube or TikTok, you kind of find your way to get into that that into that system with them consistency and with them. consistency
0: yeah, yes. and, and don't come fake come come really yeah, yeah, wanting I, to learn yeah. i told my kids i said i want you been I every hear you say
2: you got it from the mud I'm like <laughs> <laughs> That is not your experience So whatever you're watching On TikTok And all that, that That is that is mud. that is not it That is not it You had it on Boots and everything is that a TikTok <laughs> term yeah, I got like, it from the yeah, mud Yeah yeah like you, yeah I'm oh like man Listen that is not you So don't try to live A lifestyle Or adopt a lifestyle That your kids Aren't familiar with I think if you see them Trying to be something And shifting to a space That they think is defined by them, by communities, mm-hmm. whatever um, societal um, expectations. That you also have to have a conversation with them to say where you're at right now is right where you should be. Mm-hmm. Don't feel guilty about that, or apologize mm-hmm. for that. And, and it's your job now to live in that moment, live in that space, and move forward. Sometimes that's kids who are living in the most um, uh, horrific conditions, mm-hmm. helping them move through that. Sometimes it's kids who, who are who have privilege. And um, and and helping them understand that you know you have to make sure that each kid is different, each kid is in their own, their own space, and hopefully our kids aren't experiencing what we experienced. Yeah. So the reaction has to be different. Yeah. As absolutely. we grow they're going to grow with us. And so we have to make sure that we meet them where they are, not where we were at their same age, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's that's a really unfair standard to hold our kids to.
0: Uh, Listen, I I recommend it. Therapy, especially for families out there, if you're not quite sure, you don't have the right words, you're kind of concerned, you don't know where to start. Um, I know the University of Rochester has got great resources. Where can someone go if they need to be in a room and talk to a counselor?
3: Well, yeah, like you said, um, so we... We have uh, different treatment modalities at our medical center, at our pediatric center. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, like I said, we're there for the community. But one thing I like that we're doing, and in the past couple of years we've been doing, is taking the clinic outside of the clinic. We're mm-hmm. partnering and collaborating um, with our community partners. And that's one of the biggest things that I've been taking pride in and mm-hmm. one of my roles as a community liaison is that we're going into the community, hearing from our community what the needs are, yeah. what is, what do our community need, and partnering with other providers in our area. Not just saying, okay, come, come to us. We're saying, no, we want to partner and collaborate with other agencies. These organizations in the community, and I think that's one thing that the U of I we shifting of showing that we're not, you know, we're not just pushing in, but we're here to listen. Yeah. You know, we just did a big. Um, Uh, collaboration with our Spanish-Latino churches. And one thing that came back from the families that was a part of our clinic was that we need resources. We need information. We need psychoeducation. We don't need a therapy and counseling yet, but we want to know. And we want you to help us with the stigma in our uh, churches and our mosques and our temples. Help us with the stigma. So we put together presentations and resources to go out into the community um, because we heard the feedback from our community. And that's one of the things. Our model has been taking the clinic outside of the clinic. And when I said partner with other organizations you know we're we're helping families identify We have a unique system at our pediatric clinic. We have uh, senior psychiatric case managers Mm -hmm. who collaborate with our clinicians. And when I say collaborate, we get what our clinicians, if our family has identified, there's some suicide ideations or there's some um, in-homes, there's some family stuff that's happening. We will have our case manager work with the clinician and the family to find resources in the community. Mm -hmm. We're gonna say, you know, whatever in-home supports, in-home services there is, we're gonna connect with you. We're gonna work with you to get connected. If the family is open, to receiving in-home services and mm-hmm. supports, in addition to what we're providing in our therapy, mm-hmm. um, we will work with that family to get those services.
0: A University of Rochester has opened its doors. If you need the help, just ask. I, I'd, li- I'd like a number beforehand. If anybody needs it, I'll text it back to you. Text 678-1039. Whatever number they leave here, I'll text it back to you and let you know that you know you could do this anonymously. Um, but let's get the help. Let's get the help we need now, especially if you see something That doesn't look right, doesn't feel right, can't communicate, Mm -hmm. take care of it now and early. I applaud you all. Looking up the research for kids' suicide, I can't even imagine what you have gone through Mm -hmm. to bring this up. But now that the services are available through the University of Rochester, let's use them. Yeah. before it's too late. It's very scary. Uh, thank you, Mr. Johnson. Appreciate that. we
3: to give you um, our, our phone number. Is 585. 585- Hold on. Let me write it down. Time, out, time <laughs> out. All this joking around, I'm getting serious now. All right. Let's, let's go. What's we the have, number? We have two locations. We have a location at 1860 South Avenue mm-hmm. and we also have another location at 200 East River Road. Um, where we provide our, our therapy and counseling. Um, we also have our phone number if you need to uh, schedule an intake. That is 585-279-7800. Say that again. Um, 279-7800. You can call that and you can schedule an a, a intake, a phone screen, and that's the first step to getting into getting services. We have a various of um, different services, mm-hmm. short-term long term we have 8 to 12 sessions we have a ready program a start program for emergency crisis uh we have we try to meet the families whatever the need is we're going to try to meet that need through one of our uh, modalities, one of our services. So we want to make sure that we're trying to meet the family's need. So if it's long term or short term, we have these different uh, programs
2: available. They also offer some telemedicine, yes. they do yes. it video, video tele, video, video. Yes.
1: online. So they also have peer them. support groups yeah. as yeah. well yes. Yes. that yep. is available. They have family groups. They have so many opportunities yes. to Maybe, actually yeah. meet you where you are. Yep. Um, and then also, I would be remiss if I did not mention there's the hotline mm. number. It's nine eight eight. So if you ever, ever, ever Feel like you are in a crisis. You need to talk to someone. It's available 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, 988. You can text it. You can call it. There is a Spanish option. Um, so if you do speak Spanish, that is an option. Um, so 988 is available, 741741 is another number that's on a national level that is a crisis line for all the people online at anybody. It does not matter how old you are. You can call it anytime, 365 days a year.
0: Dr. Sean Elms, we're going to turn it over for you for the extended version of the podcast.
2: Dr. Sheftal, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and the research and resources with our community. Can you talk a little bit um, more about uh, the work ahead at the University of Rochester, work that you're engaged in, and um, any information that parents and, and, and kids may find useful.
1: Yeah, so recently we were awarded a grant um, from the National Institute of Mental Health where we actually are going to be looking at non-traditional methods of intervention for suicidal behavior. And this is going to be actually done with teenagers um, in collaboration with uh, Notre Dame where we're trying to figure out, are there ways to intervene that are more relevant to the adolescents themselves? So we have created, we're actually in the process of creating a peer support app, which can be used on the adolescent's phone. And they're going to be talking with another peer to kind of get that support and fight against isolation, which we know is associated with suicidal behavior. And the other method that we're going to be using is uh, stimulating the vagus nerve in the adolescent's ear. And what we found in the adult literature is that when you stimulate the vagus nerve in the ear, it actually decreases symptoms of depression, anxiety, as well as suicidal behavior. So we're trying to figure out, can this actually work with adolescents as well? So we're going to be recruiting for that study excuse me, starting next year, so 2024. Right now, we're in the process of beta testing the app and getting things up and running with the uh, devices for the vagus stimulation. And we're hoping that the community can help us to better understand if these interventions are most appropriate and can we move forward with actually with a larger scale of implementing them with kids.
2: Mr. Johnson, you know, if I am a parent and, and I'm listening to this, this uh, podcast or uh, to the water cooler, and I'm like, man, this might be my child, what resources are available locally? But if I'm also a listener online, what resources are available nationally?
3: Um, first, I would obviously say that uh Godistana Pediatric Behavioral the Wellness is a resource in the community. Um, you know, like I said, we have the two locations, 1860 South Avenue, 200 East River Road. And there is a main number, our 585-279-7800 number. Um, But also nationally, you know, if there's a crisis, you could call the 988 number as well. Um, And then locally, there's a lot of different, um, we have some great organizations, great resources in our community that's providing, um, you know, Therapy and counseling for our for our kiddos. Um, you know, Rochester Regional is great. Catholic Family Center. Um, you know, Liberty Resources. Um, You'd also call two one one. Two one one will also give you a list of resources in the community, as long as well as a, you know the Villas of Hope. Um, you know, different community organizations are available as well. Thanks.
2: And and for both of you, uh, thinking of suicide among youth, how is peer pressure different, and where is it happening today, and where should parents be looking for? Uh, examples of students um, being in spaces that may be unhealthy for them?
1: So I will definitely say growing up during, well, in this age at 2023 is very, very different from when I was growing up and when I was a teenager. And I think there's a lot of differences that are good, but also there's a lot of differences that are not so good. Uh, So Unfortunately, bullying that used to happen just at one instance at a playground or at a school um, now is unfortunately following these kids home because it's happening on social media outlets. It's happening, you know, via text message, uh, WhatsApp. Um, It's happening in ways that it didn't happen before. And it's, it's harder, I think, for kids to separate themselves from those traumatic experiences that they may be encountering. And I, I will tell you from my own perspective, uh, one thing that we do, and, and my, my son, he's 11, um, he got a phone because he's a soccer player and he's at this practice and that practice. That was a big thing for us, to be honest. Um, but what we do is we shut the phone down. So that we know that from this time to this time, he doesn't have access to any of those things because it actually is time to study. It's time to eat. It's time to get yourself ready for the next day. Um, So his phone shuts down at a certain period of time. And also, he's not allowed to have it during the week. Uh, So he only has it during the weekends. And we set timers and all this jazz to kind of make sure that he is only using those social media outlets or looking at YouTube for a certain period of time. Uh, So that is just a way that we've actually tried our best to to encounter some of those things that kids may be seeing on a regular basis. Um, But there's other apps that can be downloaded on on kids' phones that can help with that as well.
2: In addition to what we've already discussed, are there any other last words of uh, thoughts or words of encouragement or resources that you want to provide the listening audience.
3: Thanks, Dr. Nelms. There, there's an increasing number of young people experiencing mental health challenges, including depression, anxiety, um, suicidal ideations, like we've been talking about today, um, or that uncontrollable, extreme emotional um, stress. So uh, we want to let you know that we are um, Golisano Pediatric and uh, the University of Rochester. We're launching Brighter Days Pediatric health, mental health, urgent care. Mm-hmm. That is the Brighter Days Pediatric Mental Health Urgent Care, which is gonna establish a walk-in center for children and adolescents. That's gonna be on the URMC uh, campus. Um, that's gonna be a walk-in center for families who are experiencing crisis, youth that have had, uh, crisis situations. Um, the launch for that is looking to be um, in mid-June. Um, we're looking to have it launched a little bit earlier, but that will be launching in June of 2024. And also for other resources, there's the mobile crisis unit. So if you ever, um, you know, have a situation that's happening going on, we do have the mobile crisis unit as well.
2: So you said that's at the Galasano Children's Hospital at, uh, at University of Rochester, correct? Yes. yes. All right. And, and so after June of 2024, when this center opens, if I, am a, if I have a kid who's in crisis, I like get home and they're just really in a really rough shape, I can walk in to that hospital and receive urgent care. And be connected to resources on the campus or throughout the community.
3: Yes, you and, and you will connect. You will connect with a, a master's level clinician or psychiatrist. Um, you also have a nurse, a nursing, a nursing will be there. Case management will be evo- and, um, involved as well. Um, you know, you have a family advocate and crisis specialist. It's going to be all right there um, at Brighter Days
2: at Gosnell Children's Hospital. Well, thank you so much um, again. This is a great partnership between WDKX and the University of Rochester and all its various departments. And we're in, in, in an effort to um, better understand the services that we have at the university, but also to connect those uni- those services with the community becomes critical for us. And so we want you to tune in to the water cooler, give us your feedback so we can improve our practice, but also to um, the, so you can be an advocate for your neighbors, your families, and your friends. Thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you in the upcoming weeks.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast on the WDKX Podcast Network.
1: Provided by Vision Automotive.